we walk by faith or not by sight. See, we are not to be thrown off by our circumstances and our feelings about what's going on. That's what throws us off, our circumstances and our feelings. But God said we don't walk by feelings, we walk by faith. Because your feelings will cause you to be sad and sorrow and fearful. But your faith will cause you to have confidence that God is going to bring you out. Believers ought to live on the promises of God and on the Word of God. Welcome to The Light of the World, and this is Jerry G. Martin. The only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through. The hope in Christ is eternal. You may be facing some tremendous challenges right now. Join us today as we share this message with you about hope. You know, I was thinking a a little bit, I mentioned earlier that uh, in the middle of the night, uh, I stubbed my little toe. I don't know if I broke it or not, but it was very painful while we were on our trip. As I was thinking about it, it reminded me of what Paul said in the book of Corinthians, we're all part of one body, and how your toe can rearrange almost everything you're doing. We don't pay much attention to our little toe when it's well, but every time somebody got on the elevator, I would be sure that I protected my little toe. When, when the crowds were walking, I was conscious of where I was and everybody else was because I did not want anybody to step on that little toe. If Paul says we're all parts of one body, that means that we have to be conscious of everybody that's going through something. No matter who they are in our church, all of you are a valuable member of this body of Christ. You may not be recognized. You may be covered up in an area where others can't see you, but you are valuable. And when we are hurting, when your toe hurts, everything hurts. It'll make water come to your eyes. I want to talk to you about a passage in the book of First Peter, written by Peter. He met Jesus one day while he was out fishing. And after catching no fish at night, Jesus instructed Peter and his co-workers to go out and try one more time. And when they did, they were astonished at how much fish they caught. Peter then knew that Jesus was different. There was something different about him. In fact, he decided to follow Jesus immediately. The Bible says he left his boat and all of his fishing tackle and immediately followed Jesus, and Jesus welcomed him and even declared that he would make him a fisher of men. We're quite familiar with Peter in the Gospels. He was the one who was the most outspoken of Jesus' disciples. He was the one who stepped out of the boat to come to Jesus when Jesus was walking on the water. He was the one who said he would never leave Jesus and and, and never forsake him, but ran off when Jesus got arrested and even denied knowing the Lord. It was Peter to whom Jesus said, upon this rock I will 
build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter preached the first gospel message in the book of Acts and the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people were saved after the first message. Peter was the leader of the first church. And now as we look at the first book or the first letter that Peter wrote, it was several years that have passed since Jesus had left the scene. The church had gotten started and was surviving, and Peter now sees there is a need to write a letter to those who were in the church. His purpose for writing this first letter was to help the church folk stand firm in what God had done for them in the face of escalating persecution and suffering. These believers found themselves now in a place where all hell had broken loose toward them. It is commonly known that Nero, the emperor of that time of Rome, had began to persecute the saints, and it was under Nero's realm that Peter was eventually martyred and Paul's head was cut off. Nero uh, was so antagonized by the Christians that he would have some of them dipped in oil and put on fire in his garden as lights for his garden. The Christians were being persecuted, and Paul wanted his readers, his believers, to live a triumphant life in the midst of hostility without abandoning hope, without becoming bitter, without losing faith in Christ or forgetting that he was coming again. He says, in the middle of all this that are going on, and we even heard earlier that uh, uh, of a young man who had his family members martyred and killed because they served Jesus Christ and he was interested in, in Christ. And that's going on right now in some places. As I was thinking about this message, I want you to pay close attention today because many of you, although you're not persecuted to that degree, I believe the enemy has used a strategic plan of persecution uh, not like they saw in the early church, but what we recognize today, the eventual reality of that persecution is that people are still abandoning hope. I'm talking to the church folks. They are abandoning hope. They are becoming bitter. Some are losing faith in Christ, and we don't even think about him coming again. You may be doing all you can to live for God, but you are catching so much hell that sometimes you might say, I don't even know what's to use. I know who I'm talking to, because I hear it all the time. You know, all you got to do is watch believers coming in and out of the church. We come in like we're going to a funeral on Sunday morning. Oh Lord, it's Sunday again. I guess I better go on to church. I guess I better, since I didn't come last week. Oh, no, now we got to stand up for how long? 
and sing a song. Somebody already looked at the clock and see what time it is and how long the pastor going to be up. Are we already running late. Come on, pastor. I got somewhere to go. I got somewhere to go. The result is the same. An ineffective church that is not carrying out the plan of God that he had left up for the church. We're just barely making it that we write songs to authenticate how we feel. Lord, how I got over. If I could just make it in to the kingdom. One of these days, I'm just going to make it on in one of these days. I'm climbing up the rough side of the mountain. Shake, 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 shake the devil off. We're just trying to exist. We're just trying to make it. What's the use? Peter is looking at the church and saying, I know you're going through something. And, you know, for all of us, whatever we're going through, it might as well be the worst thing that can ever happen to us. Every time we get a little spiritual breakthrough, you find yourself suffering and struggling with the same set of circumstances and you feel like you just can't seem to make it any further. And as far as you can tell, the hellhounds have been turned loose on you. You got problems on your job, problems in your finances. There's sickness in your body. The folks in your family can't seem to get themselves together and it's draining you. My folks, my cousins, my children, my brother, my sister, every time I turn around, there's something going on, and I'm just, whoo, I'm just tired, Pastor. I can't holler, make it no more. There's always something going on. There's something going on. I got circumstances. I got issues. I got stuff. It's getting kind of quiet in here today. I ain't going to step on your foot. I know your toe hurting. I'm sympathetic this morning. But that's what Peter was seeing in the church. Instead of a vibrant church that's coming in and saying, God is in charge and give glory to God. What would you have me to do today? God, what's next on the agenda? We're vibrant. We got some plans. And I can see God moving. And I can see God. I can see the gifts of God. I can hear word of knowledge going forth. I can see the miracles of God going forth. I can see God doing great things. And I'm glad to be a part of it. No, we ain't saying that. Now, what else they want? Want me to come to prayer? Bible study? Go out witnessing? They must all know I got stuff to do. So Paul writes this letter. It's in my heart this morning to look at this so we can be encouraged. Because Paul says, no matter what you're going through, there are some things you need to keep in mind. Paul begins this message to the believers in Rome by encouraging praise. While these believers face severe persecution from Rome, this passage in chapter 1 of 1 Peter is a hymn of worship. It's designed to encourage Christians living in a hostile world listen to this, to look past their temporary or temporal troubles and rejoice in their eternal inheritance. So we're here to reset this morning while you even here. We're here to reset and to refresh. Hold on, let let me just see who I'm talking to. Now, this message are for those who are saved. 
Now, is anybody saved in here? You're saved and you know it. This is not for the unsaved. And he says, for, you, for those who are saved, he said, I want to share something with you because you, uh, uh, you may have pulled off as I was on that ship and you pull off from the shore and you get further and further and further. The big cities look small and small and smaller and the shoreline looks small and smaller. After a while, you can't see anything. And as believers, we got saved one day and he came into our life one day and we had so much glory and so much joy. And now as we go in our Christian life, it seems like we move further and further from the point of our salvation and after a while you can't even see where you were when you got saved. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now you can read that and say, uh-huh. But when Peter wrote this, Peter says, let me talk to you about what's going on. So let's not breeze past the first statement. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me stop there for a moment. He starts there. Praise be. Now, the word praise here, and if you go to another translation, you see the word blessed. It's from the Greek word, which we get our word to eulogize, to speak well of. A eulogy is to speak well of, to have some, some kind, some edifying words about the one to whom you are speaking. The Greek word means to praise, to celebrate with praise. It is an expression that also means well done or to do well. Thus, the word means to bless someone in the sense of speaking well of them. Now, with what I do as a pastor and a minister, I, I get asked uh, quite often to, uh, to present the eulogy at a funeral. I can tell you this. It is very, very challenging to do a eulogy for someone you don't know. You never met the person, you don't know the person, and they want you to do a eulogy and to say some good things about them. When you're there, you just find a way to say things like, their life has already spoken for them because you don't have anything to say. We know that they're not here with us. We say those things. But when it's somebody that you know, you can say, oh, this person was kind and gentle. This person was loving. They'll give you the shirt off of their back. There, were, there was a time when I was in the need, and they came to my need and my rescue. See, when you don't know the Lord, you don't have much to say about the Lord. But if you know him, and you know what he's done for you, you can bless the Lord. See, now, we got this idea that praise comes with worship. Praise and worship, which means we're going to sing a song for a few minutes, a fast song and a couple of slow songs. But praise is not singing. Praise is speaking about the one to whom you want to give some recognition. So he said, praise the Lord, the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say something good about him. Speak about him. 
and magnify him. Come and begin to talk about what God has done for you. Come on, come on, can we take a praise break right now? Come on, right now, let's begin to talk and say, Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. Yes, I'm going through something, but I thank you for what you've already done. See, the devil's job is to get you in a situation where you don't even want to talk about God. You don't even want to say thank you, Lord. You don't even want to say nothing. But if God has done something for you, would you just jump up for about two or three seconds and say thank you, Lord? Come on, get on your feet. Say thank you, Lord, for what you've already done. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. I know who you are. I know what you've done. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, the enemy would have swallowed me alive. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Peter said, praise him. I know you're going through something, but praise him. Talk about him. Has he been good to you? Say, Lord, I know you've been good. Thank you, Lord. Praise be to the Lord and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, if you can learn how to do that in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of the fire, you'll see God begin to bring you some joy, some peace, some strength. Hallelujah. He said, praise be to God. See, we got to say, come on, praise the Lord. Come on, praise the Lord. Come on, saints, praise the Lord. No, 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 no. He said, that's the time when you just go deep into the inside of you. You go back to your remembrance of what God has done for you and where he brought you out of and what God has done all the time for you. Somebody said, said it this way, he woke me up this morning. If I don't say nothing else, I said he woke me up this morning and I'm in my right mind. Glory to God. We're not talking about a song. We're talking about a deliberate declaration that is derived from our conscious understanding and appreciation of who he is and what he's done for us. Father, I thank you. Number one strategy of the enemy is to keep God off of your mind. Keep him off of your mind. You won't say anything. You won't talk to him. Even if you don't tell anybody else about the Lord, you ought to talk to the Lord about you and what you know about him. Lord, I know who you are. If you had to give a eulogy on the spot about God, what would you say about him? What could you say about him? If you said, okay, I want you to get up and give a eulogy for God, what would you say? Well, I don't know. No, 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 no. I'm talking to saved folks now. See, the unsaved folks may not have anything to say. Unsaved folks are still trying to figure out whether God exists. Unsaved folks are trying to figure out who he is. Which God is it? Is it this God over here? Is it what's in you? Is it what's in me? But saved folks know. Peter said to them, now, if you don't know what you need to say about him, let me help you out. He said, number one, he is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is he the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is our God and our Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. Come on now, some people said, I didn't even know my father, but God now is your father. He is your father. He is your father. Jesus said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. And then God put this seal of authenticity on Jesus when at the Jordan River, Jesus was baptized. The heavens opened and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well please and Jesus affirmed it when he said God so loved the world that he sent his only son 
that whoever would believe on him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Some folks don't want to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but Peter said he is the Father and the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the second thing he says, in his great mercy, he's going to tell us what he do, but he said, before I tell you what he do, I'll tell you why he did it, because it was his great mercy. Mercy was the motive behind granting us eternal life. It was the motive behind it. It was his mercy. Mercy focuses on the sinner's miserable, pitiful condition. Sometimes we can see somebody in, in sad shape, and they can't help themselves. And if we have compassion, it causes mercy to come and cause us to make a move. And it's the motive behind why we would do something. Some of us have mercy upon an animal. You see a stray animal looking sick, your heart just goes out to him. That happens because you done moved to the suburbs. In Fifth Ward, we didn't do that. We just said, now that's a sick looking dog. I don't know where he going. But out here, you, you take him and try to get him and get him all built up. That's what mercy does. You're in a miserable condition. You can't do anything about it. And mercy comes and have a motive by compassion to do something about it. God saw us in our sin. We were in a sick sin condition. We couldn't do anything about it. And God did something about it. It was his mercy. All believers were once in that wretched all unbelievers were in that merciful, merciless, helpless condition. We couldn't do anything about it. Oh, the songwriter said, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. We needed God's mercy for a remedy to our sin, sick, incurable disease. We sing about amazing grace, and God's grace is amazing. And God poured out his grace on us as well. But mercy is not the same as grace. Mercy and grace are different. Mercy concerns the individual's miserable condition, while grace concerns with our guilt that caused the condition. God's mercy takes the sinner from misery to glory with a changed condition. He'll change your condition. And God's grace takes us from guilt to acquittal. He can change your condition and you're still guilty. But then his grace comes and said, now that after my mercy has taken you and changed your condition, my grace will say not guilty. I certainly hope that you've enjoyed today's broadcast as we have looked at living like Christ in a chaotic culture and having the hope that's eternal in Christ so that we're not looking only at what's going on with us now but what Christ has in store for us. I want you to be encouraged today because our hope is in Christ Jesus. If you would like to hear today's message again, you can go to our podcast at The Light of the World Daily with Jerry G. Martin. You can listen to today's message or previous messages that have aired on this station. Let me take just a moment to invite you to be our guest at The Light of the World. We meet each Sunday in person 
at 16161 Old Humble Road in North Houston. If you're in Humble, Kingwood, Summerwood, Fall Creek, Northeast Houston, you're in our neighborhood. So come and be our guest. If you're going through some tremendous challenges in your life right now, call us for prayer at 281-964-1393. That's 281-964-1393. You can also visit us online at lowcf.org. lowcf.org. We are excited about having the Beacon Bookstore right here on our campus. People have been coming from all over the city to get Bibles, communion supplies, offering envelopes, books, and study material. So call the Beacon, 281-441-2885. Again, that's 281-441-2885. If the Beacon doesn't have it, we can order it for you. This is Jerry G. Martin saying, May the Lord our God richly bless you, and we'll be with you again next time.